good day, good afternoon, good night. How you doing? This is MCM and you're listening to You're Probably Right. Today we are going to have a serious conversation. Well, maybe not a serious conversation, but there's going to be a serious talk happening here. Now, of course, I'm only doing the talking, but just stay tuned. What's up, y'all? You have entered. You're probably right. I'm your host, MCM, and I'm so happy that you've decided to tune in and listen to me today. This is my hundredth episode. Can you imagine? <laughs> For those of you who've been around, it's just crazy that I've actually reached a hundred. You know, it's not easy. I mean, some people might say it's difficult to do a podcast with many. Um, guests, um, even return guests, or maybe a team just to find stuff to talk about a hundred times. But could you imagine literally staying on the microphone just by yourself? (laughs) Well, that's me. I mean, I have put in other voices, either maybe a teaching here or there, or um, I think... (laughs) I think I did one interview and it was with my um, youngest son and it was about um, staying home during COVID and doing school. But um, besides that, it's been basically me. It's been me and it's been you in your ears. I don't know if you're cleaning the house, driving the car, um, psychoanalyzing me, (laughs) dissecting some of the nonsense that I say on this thing. But I can honestly say that I really, really, really appreciate um, you tuning in. You know, the funny thing is I've thought about um, marketing this thing properly, which I haven't. Honestly, I've just let it be what it is. And, you know, you might have some people saying, you know, why don't you push harder on the, um, what's it called? On social media, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is. But, um... Honestly, that stuff's not really for me. I mean, I guess it gets your 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 voice out. It's kind of like singing, you know. Um, there's an app that I like to use, and it's called Smuel. And it was big, and I can honestly say the best, the first person who brought it and made it a big thing was T-Pain. And um, it totally exploded and went way farther than he probably even managed, man, um, imagined. And, and probably even the creators. And then it slowly sloughed off and kind of died. And it's just kind of in a lull. There's still people on there who like to sing. Um, it, it, it changed a little bit. I think they tried to spread their wings a little bit too quickly. Um, and, you know, thinking back on this podcast, it's like, I don't really want to just... Um, like, I want it to be organic. I mean, it'd be, it would be wonderful if I could somehow eat off of this thing. <laughs> But um, unfortunately, no, I still have bosses <laughs> I like to tell you what to do uh, and how to do it. Um, but yeah, it would be really cool if this could somehow parlay into something else. Um, I don't can't say I want to do radio. I, I think I do like doing a podcast, but um, <laughs> it's been an interesting time. I'm just happy to get to this milestone. And I mean... This obviously means nothing to someone who's at 147 (laughs) or 287 or 660. (laughs) What would you say after 660? But anyways, I'm just so happy that I got to um, 100 again. This is, you're probably right, and you are listening to MCM, your host, um, (laughs) the test subject, whatever you want to look at or however you want to call me. Um, remember, I do not profess to be a professor of anything. And I mean, maybe that's a sad thing, but it's true. <laughs> um, I could be a professor of life, I suppose. But I mean, I have literally not gone into any school and nobody's ever given me a doctorate on anything. So <laughs> I'm not a professor. I do not have a doctorate. Got a diploma and a diploma and a half. <laughs> went to community college here in Toronto. I went to George Brown College and I went to Seneca College as well. Um, big gaps between those two things. Thought I wanted to be a gym teacher, uh, maybe guidance counselor kind of thing, you know, old school (laughs) slide into the education system kind of thing. And sadly, it didn't really work out for me. And um, if you've been a listener of this podcast, then you probably know why. (laughs) 
it didn't really work out. Or maybe not really why, but let's just say the situations that led to me not getting there. But I mean, at the end of the day, honestly, was it like I was a little boy and I said, oh, I want to be a gym teacher? Nah. <laughs> I think when I was a little boy, I wanted to be an athlete and I ex especially wanted to play hockey and that never panned out. Maybe one of the reasons is the fact that we just couldn't afford it. <laughs> so it's not something that I have been um, not accustomed to, not being able to afford all my dreams and hopes. But I can say that I'm probably in good company with a lot of people who just didn't have the, the coin to push them to wherever it is they were trying to get to or the, the financial backer to do that or whatever the case is. So here I am. I'm happy for what God has blessed me with. And um, I'm happy that you're listening. Now, if you're listening just so that you can learn about me and you know me and you just want to get at me, <laughs> it's your prerogative. It's fine. So, amen. You know more than you know more about me than I do know about you, obviously. So what does that really say? It says a few things, but I'm not really going to say here. Um, I'm sure you can use your imagination. But hey, here we go. So I got new questions. And I'm going to do my best to answer them. I have not read these questions ahead of time. I'm hoping that they're not too repetitive. Because it is quite a few questions here. And hopefully you decide to hang on. And I don't know how long or how far I'm going to be able to personally take it either. But I'm just going to see what I can do. So you might hear a lot of pauses and the pauses are probably a good thing. Um, that just means I'm thinking, <laughs> but the pauses also could be me sitting there trying to figure out an excuse to uh, <laughs> go lightly on the answer. So I can't even remember how deep these questions really go. And I haven't really obviously decided how deep I'm going to take you with these things, but I'm going to do my best to speak the truth and speak it ever. Um, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying that, you know, they, they try to hold a piece of them um, off to the side for themselves, um, not to share. But as you, well, if you were, uh, and I, sorry, I didn't welcome anybody, but <laughs> welcome to my um, always listeners, my sometimes listeners, my first time listeners, my occasional listeners, my fair weather friends and everyone else, maybe family or, you know, <laughs> my family, um, admirers, whatever it is. Um, thank you for listening. Haters, uh, you are appreciated as well. Thank you for coming out. Maybe you learned something about me. Maybe you won't hurt me. So I'm not hurt me. Maybe you won't <laughs> hate me as bad as you do. Um, let's chalk it up all as practice. And one thing I've realized I've had to do is practice just telling the truth, no matter how bad it will be. And um, at the same time, I try to protect the innocent, innocent and those who have nothing to do with this podcast. So, I mean, it's OK if I would put some of myself on blast, but I guess I have no right to put anybody else on blast. So sometimes when I hold back um, certain pieces of information that you might find pertinent to the information, the story that I'm trying to tell and narrative or whatever it is. Um, it's because I'm trying to keep other people's business out of my mouth. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll play all praises to the most high God, my Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sins. Um, coming up to Easter actually pretty soon. And I won't say it, but um, yes, I, I'm so thankful for the day that he decided to die. He could have sent 10,000 angels to destroy the world. He could have called legions to take him off that cross and fight for him. He could have done so many things, but he decided to die. He gave up the ghost and he died. Um, such a gracious savior. He even saved one beside him hanging on a cross. When he said, Lord, you know, someone asked me one time, let me just get this out before answering my questions. Um, someone asked me, they said, um, you know, maybe you just don't know when somebody's a Christian because I mean, he even saved one of the guys that was hanging beside him on the cross. And, you know, 
I can't, I don't have the scripture right before me. I'm not even going to pull it up and you can pull it up. You know, I'm sure you got to, you're listening to me on something. <laughs> Chances are you can pull it up on there. But, um, you know, it says if you confess with your mouth or if you believe in your, believe in your heart, right? And confess with your mouth of the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. And it sounds like a simple thing. Now, I guess you could do it not wavering and die. And that would be the case. And then I guess you'd be somebody who thinks they believe and then it'd be totally stolen away. I don't know how that really works within a person. But the bottom line is that person, that guy on the cross, he didn't just say, oh, Lord, remember me, blah, 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 boom. And I bounce. It wasn't that. It was that he believed it in his heart that he was the Lord. That's why he called him Lord. And he confessed him Lord, calling him Lord in front of witnesses. He confessed who he was in front of others. He believed in his heart. And he said, you'll be with me. Tonight you'll be with me in my kingdom, I believe it says. Something to that effect. But the whole point is he confessed and he believed. And that's why he was saved. God knew, God knew why that guy was up there. We don't know what the rest of his life was like. Maybe he was already a believer and maybe he was a wayward person. Like we don't know that guy's whole backstory. I'm assuming it was the first time he met him, but who knows? Really? I mean, we don't have to look deeply into the story, but the bottom line is he did believe. He believed enough to confess him as Lord. And he said, remember me when you come into thine kingdom which would, <laughs> again, say that, yeah, he, he knew he wasn't just going to die, and that was it for him. He was going into his kingdom. So he believed in his heart, confessed with his mouth. Just a simple lesson there. <laughs> okay. Senia, let me just get to these questions before I don't have the nerve. <laughs> How much time have I wasted already? Uh, anyhow, I guess it doesn't really matter, right? Jeez, oh, just 10 minutes. Not bad, right? Okay, here we go. So, first question. What were some of the most significant events or experiences from your childhood that shaped the person that you are today? Significant. It's like I want to be able to <laughs> get into the good, bad, and the ugly because for some reason it's like I feel like um a lot of the horrible situations in my life really really um dictated a lot in my life um i guess i'll just glaze over them and hopefully something here will <laughs> pull something more out but um definitely be bullied being bullied as a child Um, I, again, I wasn't physically bullied. I mean, I did have somewhat of a fight with a couple of my bullies, the main two bullies as a kid growing up. One, I didn't fight back because I just felt it wouldn't go. I was kind of surrounded. So I just kind of took a couple and then I guess the guy realized that it just was pointless. So he just left me alone. And then the other one, it was a spur of the moment playing sports and we, we went at it a bit. I, I think I held my own pretty good. <laughs> it's kind of funny, you know, when you're being bullied, you sometimes you feel there's no way. I mean, you just feel that, that your bully can just annihilate you. Meanwhile, while you're protecting yourself and you're throwing hands too, that bully's getting as good as he's given. <laughs> but sadly, the fear is in you so much that you know, you don't even realize you're doing damage. <laughs> and, you know, when I look back on my life, I can honestly say that was probably the situation where I was handling business and I didn't even know. And nobody around me could say, yo, man, you did this, you did that. It was just one bad bullying situation. And again, it wasn't physical. It was more um, kind of the bullying that just, and I'm sure there's proper words for it, but let me just explain it in my simple way is um it was just people trying to take away my self-respect i felt and yeah there were kids as well and it was a lot of them 
and there was a, probably some type of a mob gang mentality in the situation but that definitely shaped the person um, it made me way more sensitive to um, the underdog it put me into many places where I fought for people I mean I've talked about on this podcast getting out of my car to break up fights I've broken up fights between uh, a set of twin girls <laughs> um, I've watched somebody defeat my friend in a fight and then jump on him and even the score I guess I've, I've tried to back up many people physically um, and obviously verbally I've tried to um, help people when they're caught in those bad situations and they need help you know it's just something in me and I don't know if it was because of what I went through or whatever but um, that was definitely that was probably one of the biggest things that shaped my life growing up um, there was also a few times when um, sadly fear fear had gripped me um, a couple no one dream <laughs> And um, it's funny, you know, you explain something or somebody explains something in a dream and then you hear somebody actually say that it's a thing. And then you realize, well, you already realize when they're talking that this thing happened to you. And I remember um, as a child, seeing myself in a dream running up stairs and um, a dog chasing me up the stairs. And it's like you forever trying to get up these stairs even though they're probably only, say, 14 flights, or, you know, 14 flights, well, 14 steps. I don't even know what a flight is, really. <laughs> I should figure what that is, but I'm assuming it's one level. But anyway, anyways, 14 steps basically up my, my basement stairs, and this dog chased me, and he got a hold of me. And somehow, I guess, with my leg in his mouth, he said, I got you now. And I'll never forget that. That was like the, one of the worst dreams. I, I I guess that's the worst dream I ever had. Because it's, well, it's the one that sticks in my head anyway. And um, besides that, thinking about bad situations, the time that I exploded a lamp <laughs> in my, uh, I think it was my sister's room. I threw water. I, I came out of the bathroom and I, my hands were wet. And I threw water on the lamp that was burning in the um, the room and it went and it made this sound. I thought it was the coolest sound ever. So I said, look, I'm going back in that bathroom. I'm going to get a nice handful of water. I'm going to throw some more water in it. But of course, this time, and I probably got cold water. I did that, threw the water on the lamp or the bulb, I should say, and it totally exploded. <laughs> Needless to say, I got in trouble. My parents were out that night and I was home with my cousin and my sister and um, told this story many times before but I ended up getting banished to my room for the night my sister got to go downstairs and my cousin went downstairs and I was alone in my room and lo and behold lying in my bed I believe I was awake and somebody walked past my room door <laughs> I didn't know what a nun was at that time but I figured it was a nun either that or it was a dead person with a shawl or a veil over them and that just creeped me the heck out and yeah those two so as far as scary times yes <laughs> um so needless to say i grew up with a lot of fear and um those situations plus being bullied and yeah fear really uh, gripped my life a lot and really dictated a lot of the choices so sometimes when I needed to go ahead and do something serious in life I can honestly say that fear stopped a lot of the things and the funny thing is it's like it was never really the physical thing you know it was it was up in my head because um if worst comes to worst I had to throw it out I I'd throw down and I always handle myself I've never been beaten up like knocked unconscious or teeth knocked out or somebody standing over me say I've defeated you you know what I mean like it's never ever happened and I've been in a few but um still it's like I guess it's the fear of being destroyed not even destroyed like oh I'm dead like it's the the the, the fear of being seriously hurt <sighs> that um somehow 
embarrassed and hurt. Those are my two biggest um, things that I guess has definitely held me back in many different situations. So, and this is why I bring it, no, (laughs) I bring it to you just because I'm just being open and honest about it. Hopefully it helps somebody in some way, shape or form as I answer some of these questions. But I can honestly say that, you know, that definitely had um, effect on things that I tried to do in my life and things that I didn't try to do in my life. You know, I could talk about a little bit more, but let me just leave that at, at that right now. Can you talk about any particular struggles or challenges you faced during your childhood and how they impacted your development. Again, it was the bullying. (laughs) Um, It was difficult dealing with bullies because, you know, the bullies that I had, they, they were really different. One really, really despised me for whatever reason, I really don't know. Maybe I was a little jerky, smelly kid or whatever the case was, but one really didn't like me. And then the other one, when, when the, when actually they were cousins, but when the one that totally despised me wasn't around, the other one was way more friendly to me. It was kind of strange. So it was like, you could realize that guy just didn't give a hoot, but the other one really had some serious angst for me or whatever, for whatever reason. Um... So that would say I would say that's my biggest struggle because the funny thing is it it was from um, and I can't remember the ages anymore so but I'll just say from you can do the math but from grade four to grade f- grade four grade five grade six I was in the same class with the same kids and I was bullied through all three and it didn't help that the teacher didn't really care and saw what was happening and kind of at that times kind of joined in. So, needless to say, that was a very traumatic time in my life. You know, and the funny thing was what I was going through at that time was um, bedwetting. And I assume probably the bullying probably exacerbated that situation. I can honestly tell you that I wet the last time, and I've talked about this before. Last time I wet the bed, I was 16. (laughs) What an existence. You know, horrible existence. And, you know, now even in my way (laughs) advanced years, you know, I can look back and see the different places that it's kind of taken me and not taken me. So I would say, yeah, those those struggles during my um, childhood were really difficult in that respect. Um, There was times when, you know, I had I did have an older brother and he was around for a while and then all of a sudden he was poof he was out of here and I think he was gone for two or three years and there was even times me and my mom went downtown looking for him to see where he was and we couldn't find him and um he had taken off he was living downtown the street kid life he I think he went to New York at one point when he finally came back he had like um pretty good head of dreadlocks and he was way different. Like, I barely even recognized him. And that was through, I guess, the struggles that he went through as a kid, too. So there are little things like that <laughs> or big things like that that affected me as a kid. Not to mention not even understanding my schoolwork most of the time. The bullying didn't allow me to focus on classwork and Needless to say, when I was home, I wasn't doing any homework at the grade four, grade five, grade six. It was just, it is what it is. So there was a lot of compounding factors in how I turned out. Not to mention uh, a few perverts <laughs> along the way. So my my uh, childhood, um, you know, it, it's funny. I look back on it and I think back to the times when the Cosby show was a good thing. <laughs> the Brady Bunch was a good thing. Um, I can honestly say I I thought at my home, I was growing up like the Cosby's, like the Brady Bunch, like everything was cool. You know, I had my immediate family, both my parents in the home. And then I also had some cousins, uh, uncle and, um, a few here and of other people, family, friends, supposedly or whatever you want to call them. 
also around, which made it um, interesting for a bunch of different personalities around growing up. Let's see. Were there any role models or mentors who influenced you in a positive way during your childhood? Well, I grew up in a, a family, uh, a Christian family. And I can honestly say the biggest role models in my life would be my parents. They were both God-fearing Christians. They spent most of their time at church or at work. They used to um, we used to have Bible studies sometimes, or we would have a prayer meeting with the family. Um, definitely, my parents would pray around me, for me, over me. Um, so I heard them pray. I, I definitely saw the commitment to God with my parents. They were godly parents. And rarely ever did I see them stray. Now, I don't know how much authenticity I got. And not to say that they were fake, but they were just totally devout. It's like, um, I guess... You know, sadly, my kids have probably <laughs> had a little bit of too much of what I'm talking about. But um, there were very few faltering uh, moments with my parents where I didn't think they were in total control of their behavior, their um, their Christianity, whatever you want. Like they just were just straight up on it always. <laughs> and maybe I needed to see a few different more. Um, earthly moments <laughs> I, I can't really explain it to you but um, I would say honestly those were the two biggest uh, role models and um, I did grow up with siblings but I would say definitely my parents how did your culture or family background influence your upbringing and worldview mm, well born of Jamaican parents so there's that <laughs> um, but of course my parents especially my father was like not necessarily a world traveler but he um, spent a lot of time in the United States living in places like Florida Boston and he lived in England for maybe a year or two I mean, I'm not even sure how long he lived there but um, he he's been around never lost his his, his uh, seriously strong Jamaican accent I guess but then he was always on the proper side so he would never he spoke with a Jamaican accent but he didn't speak Patwa Patwa to, to be honest I guess he did it's it's it was still prim and proper somehow I don't know how you reconcile those two things but that's the way I saw it anyhow and I mean the culture I can say we weren't too immersed if we were immersed in anything, it would have been the Christian culture, if there's such a thing. Um, my Again, my, my parents just weren't, they weren't for the so-called low-talking, uh, ignorant behavior, ignorant talking. Everything was straight up, prim and proper. Um, make sure your hair is combed, put on proper clothes. My dad always wore a hat. My mom wore dresses and hats to church, like, you know what I mean? So um, I was growing up, I grew up in a house that was a Pentecostal home. Um, but I was still a pretty straight up <laughs> type of church. It wasn't like all madness all times, to tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking and I'm reminiscing at the same time, so I'm not <laughs> so maybe explaining things properly. But uh, I would say definitely it's just the Christian values was a big thing in my home. And just, you know, making ends meet and taking care of one another, um, being loving to your siblings. Um, that's what the stuff that was instilled in to me. So when the worldview, I would say it was always to care for the dying or care for the underdog, help someone who needs help. That's the kind of stuff that I, I grew up with. Didn't really grow up with, say, a hard work ethic, but my, I saw my parents... You know, shoveling snow, planting gardens, 
planting trees and cutting grass and cleaning the home and going to work and coming home and going back to work. So like I, I saw the work ethic there. I saw the dedication to each other, the home, the family, and God, of course. So these are the things that I grew up with beyond all the other nonsense that was still <laughs> in the vicinity. Can you share a specific memory or antidote from your childhood that you think are particularly revealing or illustrative of who you are? Mm. I can remember my father singing and playing the guitar. And this guy, it didn't matter if he had all six strings or if he only had three. And sometimes he would get somebody to string a string for him. Um, it's kind of funny back looking back at him in that way. Is that, yeah, if he needed, um, I don't think I ever saw him really string. He would always wait for somebody else to come string the strings for him. I don't know if he had some... Um, fine motor issues but he never used to nine times well not nine times out of ten many times he needed somebody else to help him with his buttons on his shirts it's kind of funny he ended up with parkinson's i don't know if that was in there for a long while i mean i was i was born when he was when he was turning 50 i think well he's 49 so um i don't know if by then well, by, by the time I knew myself, so say 55, 56, I don't know if he already had the Parkinson's already bouncing around in him already. But um, I, I always noticed that. Couldn't tie his tie. <laughs> um, couldn't really, he could tune his guitar if it was strung, but he never really strung it. He didn't drive a car in Canada. <laughs> um, but he worked hard kept his job and they called him to come back after taking the bus all the way from downtown Toronto back to North York he would go straight back if they called him for overtime shift to make more money he also tried to sell um, this stuff called Best Line on the side um, as his own little hustle which most of the time he would sell the stuff at cost so <laughs> oh man my dad was an amazing guy <laughs> And I don't say that lightly. Honestly, he's a different dude. I, I didn't even know if I can't even explain to you um, this guy. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, yeah, I got just those those types of memories. And, um, you know, I always do, used to always say that, you know, I can't even really remember when, um, you know, my dad said, I always make a joke about it. Not really a joke. I just comments every now and then. My dad never used to say, he never said, you know, I, I was going to say my name just now. Luckily I didn't. But he, he'd always say, I love Uno children. <laughs> and he wouldn't say it all the time. It was just like, that's when some serious situation is happening. He wanted to make a profound um, declaration of how he felt. He would say that. Instead of just telling me myself, because I'll be, dude, I'm the only person here. <laughs> what? If, why are you telling me that you love all of us? Just tell me, man. <laughs> but he used to show it, so that was good enough. It was a, a great value. It was, it, there was, there was a lot of value in us that he had. Sometimes he didn't recognize it, and every once in a while he would, he would remind us. I don't know if you ever told my, my sisters, my brother, but. That's what I remember. It's kind of funny, you know, you grow up in one house and there might be four kids and all four kids will generally come back with different memories. It's kind of like when you think about the, the Gospels and the Bible and you think, of why was there a Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? They're basically teaching the Gospel from different um, angles and some things and some stories were a little more important than others and maybe some didn't even see some things, but it's just... You know, it's kind of like, again, growing growing up in a household, you have four siblings, or three siblings. Well, I had four, three siblings, there was four of us, um, but we all came apart, well, came apart, <laughs> we all came away with um, different versions of the same stories. 
And it's funny, like the Gospels again, when you hear one person um, tell their side of what happened, even if it was with you and not even with them, then it gives you more insight as to the different angles and the different um, point of views that were happening and why this might have happened when they add their little two cents into the story, as long as you're not lying, of course. <laughs> All right. How did you cope with the difficult emotions of situations as a child? And has that changed as you've grown older? Um, let's see, how did, how did I cope? I just, I just kept everything in, I think, you know, there wasn't a lot of bawling in front of people. I, I, I think I always felt deep emotions, but, um, most of the time I think I would, if anything, cry in my little corner on my own. And if something was really fun and really happy and humorous, then I might be the person laughing the loudest in front. But happy moments, definitely I would share them and, and rejoice with many people. But um, the other stuff, I kind of tucked it away. I mean, it, came to, it was sad because it came to a point where... Um, Uh, yeah, I would just I would just tuck things away, and you know I I, I think it became it, it's funny, just thinking of this question. I remember myself coming home for lunch, um, in grade four or five, and and I was miserable. And the funny thing is, I never forget, and I I tried ways to. I tried to tell my mom about my teacher, but she didn't really get it. Um, because he was always a, <laughs> a first-class citizen in front of my mom. You know, and just, well, Michael needs to apply himself and blah, 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 blah. Just full of stuff. But um, I remember there was a point where I changed. And I just, not I'm not sure my mom had time for it. I don't know what else was, I mean, there's probably other stuff obviously happening, maybe with my older siblings or whatever it is with other people living in the house, because I also had cousins living there at one point, five, five um, cousins, and their mom, my, my aunt, um, but she said, you know, yeah. it's funny how people used to say this, but she said, if you, um, if you, if you have your face like that, it'll stay like that. And I guess it was just sour. And why was it sour? Because I was miserable. And I guess those times were the times when people really probed the child to figure out what was really the matter. If you just look miserable, then they just think you're being a crappy little bugger. But it wasn't that. It was I was like torture. I was a tortured soul. But sadly, you know, she had, didn't have much experience with those things. I guess her family didn't live that way, and they were always protective, and they were closer in age and you mess with one of them you probably messed with all of them but unfortunately we weren't like that and our ages were spread out a little bit <laughs> meanwhile me and my sis my younger sister were meeting it at the same time so who could you really whose shoulder could you cry on you're both getting your butt whooped in in like you know just emotionally and bullies and stuff like that at the school <laughs> it's interesting times <laughs> all right um where am I? Did I really answer that? Yeah, I guess it's good enough. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Um, did that one. Did that one. Ah, we move it on. What were some of your earliest interests or passions, and do you still pursue them today? Mm, my earliest ones probably would have just been sports. And my main one, early enough, maybe not that early, was hockey. And I can say I definitely have not pursued it to this day, which I mean, I would love to be in a 
an adult hockey league, you know. Um, nothing like carving up the ice, you know, as a kid. That was so much fun for me. Um, beyond that, I would say pretty much that was it. Not a very interesting dude when I look when I really really look back on it. But I was here and there just playing and hanging out with friends and you know, I had a passion for being friendly and stuff and I guess that that slowly got knocked out of me. Maybe I'm coming back into being more friendly than I was because I really became closed off. You know? <laughs> it's funny, you know, really looking back on these things, these questions are really good. Okay, did you have any specific relationships or friendships during your childhood that had a lasting impact? Um, lasting, well, I used to spend a lot of time. I had a friend um, when I was growing up. His name was Chris. Um, when I grew up on 50, when I, I lived at... Pinford Crescent in North York, just barely North York. It was almost Scarborough, close to uh, Parkway Mall. And um, my friend Chris, <laughs> Chris R. And um, that's weird. But um, yeah, he was a, a good buddy of mine. I always find it strange. I always felt strange at that house. I don't know why. And he had a little sister. She used to hang out and be friends with me as well. And she was an adopted um, child. I don't even know really what culture she really came from, but I knew that she was a part of their family and she was adopted. And they had an older brother. He wasn't very friendly. He was just he was an he was an okay kid. He was just off to the side, but he was older, so I guess that that's just what it was. And my friend Chris was very very smart. I think we ended up in the same class for maybe two weeks. <laughs> it felt like two weeks. And then he got moved out because he was too smart. And then our um, friendship slowly um, drifted away because um, we just weren't in the same classes. And even though we were on the same street, eventually we didn't have that much of a friendship. And eventually he, he moved away, probably when I would have ended up needing him the most. They moved him away. They put him in a better school. And funny enough, he did come back to the same high school. But by the time he came back, I don't know what happened to him in his life, but he ended up with a mohawk and withdrawn and didn't even, he knew who I was and it just didn't matter. I just, I don't know what happened to him. It's a sad thing when I, when I look back. I'm not sure what happened with him, but he was very, very intelligent. But yeah, that I, it's kind of weird. You know, I think of those old movies like The Sandlot and um, The Goonies. And I had like friendships like those types. And then it's funny when you get older and then you, you see these people from, you know, your formative years or whatever it is. And you kind of just, you, you see them and you kind of like just like two ships passing. And it's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> we had all those memories and now it's like we're just no one to each other. Really strange that's what it was yeah got a lot of noise going on around here but it's okay y'all <laughs> we just keep going um yeah let's see did you have okay so you have that one okay what was your educational experience like and how did that shape your approach to learning and knowledge acquisition? Well, I can say it didn't help my knowledge acquisition at all. And I could say, as I've said before, that because of the bullying from the teacher and from the students, my there was various gaps in my learning. Um, I hated school for the education. <laughs> I liked school for the sports and the gym. And I know that a lot of people went through that the same way, but differently. So, yeah, my learning came from me wanting to know. 
ISO. I had a had and I have a desire to know things, to figure things out. So I'm like very, I have an inquiring mind. So I'm the kind of person who will stop a movie so I can research a, an actor. <laughs> like I was watching um, a movie tonight. Um, it was called, what was it called? Break? And it was the, one of the leading actors was Michael Kenneth Williams. And um, he played the officer in the movie. And he was trying to help this uh, other guy who was, they were both Marines um, through a situation, a hostage situation. The other guy took a hostage, hostages in a bank. And um, it's, you know, I'm the, I, I stopped the movie to figure out something about him and how he passed, which he, you know, he passed in 2021. And it's just kind of funny. You look at that, all that talent, that amazing acting skill, and then, you know, it's just gone. And, um, but I mean, that's me. I, I, sometimes I want to know more. So it's more important than going on with something that you're really thoroughly enjoying. Sometimes you have to stop to learn something about something, you know what I mean? And that's who I've been. So there's many things like that in my life where, you know, um, a few months ago, I wanted to know about the Ottoman dynasty. So I watched a two hour, um, story or not story, but, um, explanation or historical, um, pick of 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 the Ottoman dynasty so I can learn a little bit more you know stuff like that or I'll watch biographies or maybe there's certain um, things I want to learn about God that I'll um, maybe I'll listen to um, someone like John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul or uh, Spurgeon Charles Spurgeon or, or somebody try to explain or Vaudi um, Bochum um, try to explain something. You know, I'm all over with the learning. And I'm very... Um, I do have some triggers, so I won't... <laughs> I will take it in, but I'm very wary as to who and how they're explaining. Or Sometimes it's not really the who, but if they go left with something, my antennas are way up, always up to make sure that I'm not taking in a bunch of nonsense. Let's see. Looking back on your childhood, is there anything you wish you could have done differently or any lessons you have learned? Or let's see, any lessons you wish you had learned earlier? Hmm, I always like to answer the ending, but I mean, it's supposed to be the ending of the question. Let's see, looking back, uh, is there anything I wish I could have done differently? Um, 100% applied myself more struggled with difficult parts of um of learning a little bit more and beyond that i wish i learned how to uh, be more economical and save but you know most of the time i was like hardly i could ever find a, a a dime in my pocket not that my parents were totally flat broke but they would basically use all their ends to make ends meet so then there wasn't anything a little extra just kind of hanging out there unless it was like a bag of chips or something so it was kind of like hand to mouth hand to mouth and then even when i had a little bit more it was still hand to mouth with it so i wish i learned to save more and i wish i learned to apply myself in different ways when maybe a certain thing wasn't working i wish i had to stick to in this to fight through a little bit better In your opinion, what are some of the main challenges that black students face in achieving success today? Hmm. I think it's just knowing to for them to, to know how to get out of life what they want without following or having a, a tribe monkey see monkey do type of um, mentality monkey has nothing to do with being black it's just uh, a, a phrase that people say or a thing that people say <laughs> but um like you know like 
not buying the Jordans because somebody else has them. Not trying to get a nice shiny car because somebody has one. Not caring about the fancy clothes or the jewelry or being the loudest or the the coolest or the toughest, all that stuff. Um, I think sometimes black students have a difficult time just finding their way through the system. And the funny thing is now it's like people try to make students feel that they're owed everything because of the past that they not didn't necessarily even experience for themselves that maybe their parents felt. And it's like um, there's this this thing that is just a barrier to success. Sometimes you have some who are biting off more than they can chew at that time. In other words, it's not that they can't excel to this thing. <clears throat> but when there are gaps in your learning, <clears throat> you know, if you if you only understand 55 or 60 percent of the information and you do that in enough grades, eventually you're going to get to a grade where you're clueless on the important information. Because most times it's the compound learning that you have. It's not the basics. It's not the one plus ones or the two times sixes. It's the other stuff. It's the algebra. It's the exponents, the, the graphing and the extrapolations and <laughs> the different things, that, those little pieces that put pieces to the puzzle. And when you're missing all those little pieces, eventually you kind of throw your hands up and say, I can't do this puzzle, you know? How do you think that the experience of historical black figures such as Martin Luther King, Harriet Tubman, um, can inspire and motivate black students today? Hmm. You know, the funny thing is I can honestly tell you growing up as a black kid, um, I didn't grow up with these as, his as historical figures in my life. I can honestly tell you the first historical um, black figures that I heard of besides my parents. Let's see. One was Dr. J, <laughs> basketball player. Um, Willie, oh, I think, was it Willie O'Ree, the hockey player? Um, and uh, I can't remember his name. is something Alexander, the, the first... Um, Lieutenant Governor, Lincoln Alexander. Um, but those are the ones, and to me, those people didn't really hold a candle to my father. <laughs> you know, as quirky, and, and he wasn't even that quirky, to tell you the truth. He was a straight shooter. It's just When I think of the stuff that he wasn't able to do and the stuff that he did, knowing that he probably was living with some type of a thing, and it didn't stop him. You know, to me, that's black excellence. Black, black excellence isn't necessarily fighting the good fight out in the streets. <laughs> black excellence is fighting at home, at home, and loving your family and working hard and working yourself to the bone, finishing yourself as a man. You know, that's black excellence to me. That's sitting down and have a conversation with your kid when he wants to talk and reason. You know, my dad would do that. He would sometimes delve into the little stories that he learned or bad times that he experienced in the United States during all the racist times in the, um, in the 60s and maybe 50s. But um, so every once in a while he would go into something. He wouldn't necessarily finish the story, as I was complaining to somebody the other day, but um, it was still important having those conversations with him for as long as he could have them. And even more so when he got older. How can parents, caregivers of black students best support their children's ac academic and professional aspirations despite the challenges they may face? Um, just teaching them to settle down. <laughs> read. Talk about what they've read. Let them apply that knowledge and that understanding. Let them know that there's information in those books, those articles, those periodicals, whatever it is that you have them reading. Let them know that it's not just stuff to force them to do something other than what they'd rather be doing. Support them and let them understand that there is 
real world knowledge that stuff that can be applied to real world experiences the knowledge that they've gained from learning and hopefully you know you can sit down and do your their homework with them sometimes because there's always going to be challenges no matter what color what culture whatever you come from and it's just teaching kids how to deal with when the stuff comes and having real talk with them you know maybe saying to your son you know it's best not to go to the mall when you only have three dollars in your in your in your pocket maybe you should stay home and try to figure out how do you multiply that three dollars to make it to do something useful um let them understand why they need to dress or to carry themselves with a certain level of decorum in public and let them realize that it doesn't only look bad on them but it looks bad on their family and looks bad on their culture you know there's many things instead of worrying about those who are going to try to pamper them or try to um, feel sorry for them and the stuff that their families or parents have experienced maybe it's them learning to value those people who are willing to teach but not are willing not willing to make it so easy for them and those who don't necessarily feel sorry for them let them know that you know respect is earned you know, trust is gained, you know, and earned, or earned and then it is gained. <laughs> what role do you think systemic racism and discrimination play in the educational and professional outcomes of black students and how can we work to address these issues? Well. I think if you're anywhere, any color, and you're not the dominant race in a place, no matter what it is, you could break it down to color of your skin if you want. You could you could talk about your culture, your religion, you know, even your sex. And um, there's always going to be discrimination. As long as there's people on this planet, there'll be discrimination, discrimination against fat people, tall people, blue-eyed, brown-eyed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's always some... Um, discriminations that play out more than others because that's the most noticeable thing and when people tend to notice people that are different there's usually some kind of conflict it's not necessarily obviously just open arms all of a sudden right away and sadly you know black people had to deal with that in North America and other places in the world too but from what I know from here in Canada and in the States and it's been a big a bit been a big thing it's been televised and um, it's been in movies and everything. But um, I would say I don't think discrimination really, it does. But I mean, you know, some people will say that there is discrimination in math. And no, I don't really agree. I just think that sometimes some kids have needed more help and haven't got it. And sadly, their parents who are raising them didn't get it so it's just it becomes like a generational problem it's not that black kids aren't good at math or the stems or whatever it is it's that maybe their parents really went through it so then they're gonna suffer because instead of me working a proper nine-to-five job with four weeks of vacation and being able to take my kids somewhere I'm slaving my tail off and I'm also working the two jobs or just crappy hours that I can't even help my kid with their their homework. So there's a lot of reasons why. And I don't think those things are cultural. You know what I mean? Well, here's a unexpected thing. Hold on. There we go. Wonderful sound. So, I don't think this is necessary. I just, I think black kids just need somebody who's going to take time with them. You know, maybe maybe that's what they, they need more time they need extra help because of um, the sad things that have happened generationally I have 
I have um, successful cousins who, you know, whose parents came here, funny enough, probably through my parents, and their kids succeeded. <laughs> you know, I can think of a few different um, family members who were sponsored by my parents, and then I think of their kids and the people that they took up with or got married to, and their kids worked out pretty good. But my parents and their kids, not so much. Um, from that, you know, it's cool to see what they've become. I have cousins who, you know, live out of the country who've done well for themselves. I have cousins in the country who've done well for themselves. And it's like cousins' children. Um, it's funny how life is, you know, because some of them, it's like they probably wouldn't even... I, I'm. I don't want to put anybody on blast, so definitely I won't say any names. But, you know, when I really look at my family and I see the struggles, I see, you know, I heard the stories of my parents um, sponsoring. And, you know, I think of a nephew <laughs> and then one of his kids and the great thing that child's done. I think of my uncle who's sponsored by my mom and my, my father and his daughter and she was able to graduate university and I think of my my cousin who's brought over with his mom and my mother and my father I guess I don't know if they sponsored them but gave them a place to stay for a few years until they got their own place and I think of all the, the university graduates that came out of that household um, I guess the, the best thing we could do as kids for some reason um, it was college and I can't say that in this world there's been a whole lot of success in my immediate family for one way or one reason or another but it is really something interesting to look in on I have very intelligent family members and I guess there was just the different levels of nurturing that um, caused success. Um, there were certain levels of work ethic. Um, there was a lot more, I guess, put into um, the system and working the system and fighting the system and getting your education and working hard at succeeding in this world. But I can honestly say that everybody's come up against all kinds of struggles, no matter what their focus was. And again, being respectful and you know of other people and people who have nothing to do with this podcast, I can't just put them on blast. But um, even as I talk, I remember these situations and how things probably fared different for some of us than others. Anyhow, y'all. I'm going to stop right there for today. I guess there will be a part two, at least. <laughs> Anyhow, thank you for listening. And, you know, I hope I didn't bore you too much. There's too much background noise, but um, it's been an hour now. So I would like to say farewell. I'm not sure if I'm going to glue anything to this thing or if there's just going to be another episode, but I'm going to stop for now. This is MCM, and you're listening to You're Probably Right. And again, this is my 100th episode. Amazing, amazing. Thank you for being here. Take care. Hey, come check out You're Probably Right podcast. Society is getting more unpredictable every day, but at the same time, predictable in its unpredictability. Say that four times real fast. Come with me as I attempt to find clarity in all the fog while staying way outside the box and kicking the box way down the road with my size 12 docks. <laughs> I use the Bible, experience, education, fortune, misfortune, life's lessons, life's mistakes to sort through all the mess. I talk about news, God, uh oh, yeah, God, self help, sports, sickness, health, music, parenting, love, humbleness, hurt, pain, joy, and all the things that might make you say, hmm. 
I never thought of it that way. Hopefully, anyway. Also, I take a stab at answering tough and not-so-tough questions. And, all the while, understand that, listen, sometimes you end up in the hot seat and there's no thermostat. Well, that's how it is here. And because there's no topic, well, very few topics off the table, Torontonians will understand that Doug Ford reference there. (laughs) Hopefully the podcast will be helpful and uplifting. And hey, maybe you'll find your own private Idaho here somewhere. Hope to see you soon.